This week, uh, Garrett and I uh, traveled to uh, West Palm Beach for a conference. And uh, just throughout this first part, Brandon was supposed to go, Brandon couldn't because of, of kind of a family emergency or whatever. But Brandon had, had booked the Airbnb. And if you know Brandon, she's a very good steward of money. And so he looked at hotel prices and was like, you're not staying in a hotel, we're going to stay in an Airbnb. And so it's one of those Airbnbs that looked good in the pictures but was totally sketch, okay? I mean, totally. Like the street, everything, like houses are run down. We go up in this Airbnb. It's like the stair, like I was like, we can't walk on these stairs at the same time. The porch, Garrett and I can't be on it at the same time. There's no way it passed code. It, it was rough. So anyway, go inside. It looks, it looks nice, but it's, anyway, it's fine. It's fine. It's an Airbnb. I'll stay anywhere. I don't care. Get up the next morning. I'm going to go for my run. I'm going to run five miles. Just going to run out and back, two and a half, two and a half, out, two and a half back. But I thought, I'm in West Palm Beach. I'm going to go see the ocean. And so I just like find like what's the closest bridge that goes across to the ocean. And I just like, okay, that's simple. I don't even need to look at a map again. I can do this. And so I just take off and I cross over this toll bridge, you know, not toll bridge, but the drawbridge, you know, and down over this other little bridge. And and I can kind of tell like the ocean's coming. And and I look and I, I see this like compound looking thing. And I'm, you know, this is like crossing over. And I'm like, what is that? And it, I see this Broward County Sheriff Tower. It's like this, like, imagine a scissor lift with a shooting house on the top of it, you know? I'm like, what? Is this a sniper tower? What is that? Oh, that's Trump's place. This is Mar-a-Lago, you know? And sure enough, I run up to it, and there's security, and there's cameras everywhere. And, and I have realized I went from, from Pogue, the Pogue side to the Kook side <laughs> real quick, all right? I went from, like, like... This is sketchy to this is swanky. And so I make the turn by his house, you know, and I'm running. And I'm just, like, looking at different things. And, like, these houses are immaculate. And, uh, I mean, like, crazy uh, immaculate. And I didn't know this at the time. I later figured out that I, I turned and ran on what they call Billionaire Row. There's, there's three places in the U.S. that, that kind of like fight for that name, and this is one of them. So it's a very high concentration of billionaires. A uh, little digging, a little research, looking at Onyx and looking at different pieces of property. Found out Ken Griffey Jr. lives there. Uh, Serena uh, Williams lives there. Like, it's like these big, big names and these big, big houses. And so, man, I turn and I run, and, and man, here's this thought. Like, I got the beach on one side. These people got these private beaches and these big houses. And I start thinking, a Bible verse comes to my, comes to my head. And I'm like, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. And I was thinking about that. Like, man, why, if you had all of these things, and you woke up, and that was your view every day, why... Do you think you need Jesus? But man, these people are sinners. These people, like these people, need Jesus. Man, think about how poorly they use their money. They probably like, you know, protesting the climate, and look what they got. And they probably flying, you know. And I just start going off, and my little hardened, self righteous heart just starts cutting them down, right? You know, I'm like running by somebody. This this lady's out walking her dog, and she's looking down on me, and I'm thinking, well, Botox didn't fix that, you know? Like, I like, I mean, I don't matter how much money you got, it ain't go. I mean, no makeup, 6 a.m. I get it, right? You know, so my old hard heart, it's just self righteous, hardened, calloused. 
Some guy drives by in a, a BMW, looks at me, and I look and I realize what he's doing. He thinks I'm stealing. He thinks, he th- he's like, what is that pogue doing on this side of the island? And so I'm like, why, why are you judging me, bro? And I start judging him. And that's what, that's what we do. That's what my heart does anyway. And so, man, I quickly got back to the place of, man, these people need Jesus. And when I climbed back over that bridge and went back to where my side of the, my side of the tracks, right, the pogue life, pogue for life right here, uh, when I went back over the other side, I thought, man, these people need Jesus too. And there's just a reality that we're going to be faced with in Scripture today. And we're going to see that, that the self-righteous, and man, we're all, we all fall in the trap of self-righteousness. The rich, the poor, it's the different caste system, it's how it works. We look up or down, that we are all need the gospel and that we all need Jesus because we are all sinners. As we, as we approach the text today, continuing where we left off last week in the, the book of Luke, I, I want to share with you the big truth. And the big truth this week is this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. And if you hear that and you're like, hey, that's, that sounds like scripture, it's because it is. It's scripture. It's 1 Timothy 1.15. And, and this is what Paul tells Timothy, the, the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary to ever walk the face of the earth other than Jesus, says this, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. And so just as we start going through this text today, here's what I want you to think about is the fact that this is Paul saying, I am a sinner, I am the chief of sinners, and that ought to be our disposition. Our disposition, if you're a Christian, it ought to be of thinking, thanking God that Christ Jesus came to save sinners, and that you ought to think, and, and I'm the worst, I'm a wretch. So, we'll dive in, starting in Luke chapter 5, verse 12, and we're going to read through 32. We're going to read this in kind of three scenes, okay? Three, this, is, this is three different, they're, they're different stories that uh, they're not tied directly to one another. Uh, they're not. This is not like in chronological order. This is the order in which Luke wanted to tell them. Luke is telling the stories this way on purpose. All right. Uh, um, Matthew, Mark, they don't handle it exactly the same way. There's some of this that's not in the exact same order. Luke's doing this on purpose, and so I want us to, to, to we're going to pause each time and, and just know we're reading three different stories. But there is a thread of truth that Luke is weaving for us. There is a picture that he's painting for us. Starting with verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him saying, be clean. And immediately the, the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report went about uh, him, went ab- abroad, and great cow- crowds gathered uh, to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. 
All right, that's story one. Here's story two. One of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who would have come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed and a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribe and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and he picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. All right, there's the second story. Here comes the third. After this, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. All right. We'll start back in the very first story. The man's a leper. He's a leper. He's got leprosy. He's coming to Jesus. A leper, um, someone who had leprosy, and, and man, scholars kind of look back on that and they think back. Remember, Luke's a physician, so Luke would have been familiar with, with the disease, right? But they think that it was probably multiple diseases, but the most common one, uh, there's a different name for it, but the, the most common one, and what was called leprosy, was a disease to where you uh, would lose feeling in your extremities. And so what would begin to happen is your hands would go numb, your feet would go numb, your arms would be numb. And because your body is numb, your fingers are numb, you would often, you, you, you know, you ever like sitting down and you've sat somewhere too long and you get up and you try to walk and your legs are asleep and it's like, how do you feel around on that? It would be kind of the same thing. And so um, you stumble, you fall, you bust a, you bust a toe, you reach uh, to grab something and, and, and you burn yourself and you never know it. And all of a sudden your, your skin is burnt and then you smell it and you look and it, but it, it, didn't, it didn't hurt. And so because of the, the loss of feeling, um, in, in, your, in your skin, and the, your, your skin would begin to dry out, would crack, you would cut it, then you would often bleed. And so that, that's how, what leprosy was. They actually, they, they called it the, um, the disease that was painless, but like hell. And so it, it, was, it, it wasn't necessarily that they were in a ton of pain, 
it was that they had all these issues, all these cuts. It would be sores on their bodies. Well, if you got leprosy, it, it was life-changing. Um, you, in, in the, the day that it was determined that you had leprosy, you became an outcast. You had to leave your family, and you had to go live in a leper colony. And so you, you, would, you would go, and you would, you would leave. Um, everywhere you walked, you had to make an announcement that you were a leper. And so as you walk, you would have to say, unclean, unclean. Unclean, unclean, like you just you had to say, you had to give a warning, I'm, I'm a leper. It was thought that if you touched a leper, you could get leprosy. And so if you touched a leper, you were deemed unclean until you went through this ceremonial kind of process and over a period of time was shown that you didn't have leprosy. And so these people lived, lived in colonies. There's no way to work, no way to provide for yourself. Often how provision would happen is a family member would take and they would bring and they would drop food at a certain location and then you would come get food and that's how you ate. Many had to beg and, uh, you know, they, they, they had a look about them. It's not like they had a pleasing look. They looked like somebody who was, was sore, who, who was sick. They, they, I read one scholar say that, you know, you so lack of feeling and oozing um, scabs and whatever, that often rodents, mice, would be chewing on a person while they're sleeping, and they wouldn't even know it. And that's the level of sickness, right? Couldn't touch a, you couldn't touch a leper. So this leper, he knew the reality of his situation. And what does he do? But he hears of Jesus, who is healing. And he he, he goes to Jesus, and when he gets to Jesus, he falls down on his face at his feet, and he begs. This is, a, this is, this is, this is the point of the story. I want you to look. I mean, he, he falls on his face, and he begs, and he says these words, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. There's great faith here displayed. It wasn't, Lord, if you can... It was, Lord, if you will, if you will do it, you are capable. I believe you're capable. Just like so many other times in Scripture, Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. He touched the unclean thing. He touched the person that no one else was willing to touch. And he heals him. This is immediately the leprosy left him. And I wonder what that looked like. Did that mean that, that just immediately his body began to uh, regenerate and to heal, heal itself? I don't know. But it says the leprosy left him. And then he gives this instruction to go, not to tell anyone, but to go and report it to the priest as Moses had commanded. So here's my first big idea that I want you to see. And it's that those who come to Jesus are aware of their sinful spiritual condition. This leper was aware of the fact that he was sick. Every moment of every day, the weight of the leper's condition was on him. The first and foundational qualification for coming to Jesus is an awareness of one's own condition. Just like this leper. Here's the truth. God does not come to the self-sufficient. God does not come to those who think they have no need. God does not 
come to those who imagine and believe that they can handle their problems on their own. He comes to the empty spirit, the poor in spirit, those who mourn their condition. And if you would come to Christ, this is the way that you must come. It's saying, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. I'm unclean. It's realizing the, the, the condition that our hearts are in. Here we, we see something in this story. Remember, the next story, he, he says, I, I, he doesn't heal him from his, uh, him being crippled, being a paralytic. He heals him of his sin, right? And so this is the thread that he's painting for us, is that we've got to be aware of our brokenness, aware of our own spiritual condition. We can't be the person who thinks, oh, we've got this all figured out. That we must come, we must become, come to Christ aware of our sin. I mean, the scriptures are clear that we would come and repent of our sin, that we would turn from our sin. The Bible says there are none who are righteous, not even one, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And when I'm running down Billionaire Road, the, the thing that is in my mind is do they think that they can save themselves? Do they see their own sin. Is that why it's hard for a rich man to come into the kingdom of God? What, what is it? So, he heals him. He sends him to the to priest. Now, the, all of this comes out of the law of Moses. It comes out of the Torah. It comes out of the book of Levit- Leviticus, more specifically. And it was an eight-day ceremony. So, if you were miraculously healed from leprosy, you would show up. Uh, to, the, to the priest, and they would go through this eight-day process. And, and in this, it was showing um, that, that you had, didn't have leprosy anymore, and it was celebrating what God had done. It was, so much of it was celebratory. One of the first things that they did was they took two pigeons or two doves, they took two birds, and they would gather those two birds, and they would take this clay pot, and they'd put them both in the clay pot just so that they wouldn't spill any blood. And they would take and they would kill one bird and they would split it open. And they took that, the, the blood from that bird and they would put it on, on the leper. They would put it on their, their forehead. They would put it in different places on them. And they would take the rest of that blood and they would put it on the other bird, the other, the other pigeon, if you will. They would, they would just drowse it in it. And then they would let the other bird go. It was like the scapegoat. And so... While both birds deserved death, it was saying, this one paid the price for this one, that this one may go free. Hmm. Does that sound familiar? It's it's telling a story. The Old Testament was pointing to Jesus, saying that this one, his blood was paid for the other one, that they may go free. There's another process. They used three lambs. They take three male lambs, and it was part of the sacrificial process. And there, there were different, there were different, uh, you know, sin offering, guilt offering. Uh, there was a guilt offering because there was this this back debt. There was this debt that came because there was years of the lepers who who could not do the ceremonial rit- rituals because they were unclean. They couldn't go to the temple, and it was showing that this lamb is paying your guilt. It's paying, it's paying the ransom. It's paying what you owe. This lamb is dying in your place. The ceremony, the very thing that Jesus pointed the leper to was the ceremony that would celebrate the gospel. 
And this is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news. This is the Jesus bringing his kingdom to earth. Is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were sinners, that while we were like that leper, and we are outcast, we are separated from God, that yet Jesus makes a way. That when we are unclean, Jesus reaches down and will touch us and say, clean. And so we must really believe that Jesus can save us. We must really look at our own selves and realize our own spiritual condition, but then believe that we don't have to stay in that condition, but that there is an answer. There's a solution, and the solution is Jesus. That leads us into our next story. On one of those days, as he was teaching, the the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. I just want to point out, Each story, there's Pharisees, there's scribes, or there's teachers, or some combination. And the theme, the thread that I just want you to make sure that you understand, is that in each of these, the religious people, the Pharisee, the scribe, the teacher, they are self-righteous. They are clinging to their own ability to perform, to know the law and perform the law, and not that of anything else. They're self-righteous. All right, so he's, he's teaching. The power of the Lord, it says, was, was with him to heal. And people were coming and, and with all sorts of affirmations, all sorts of things wrong with them and being healed. And so then, you see these four, four men. And, and behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. As they approach that house, they can't get him in. And so in their mind, they have to be thinking, like, we've got to come up with another way. There's got to be a way for, for us to, to, to get him in. And so, finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, and they let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And so, and I read a lot about this this week. Uh, about, I read about Palestinian architecture and all these different, different, different things, and what this would be like when, the, when he uses the word tile, and it's not the same word that, that, that Mark and Luke. Here, here's, the, here's the real simple thing. The roofs aren't like our roofs, right? They're made of sticks. Uh, well, I guess ours are kind of made of sticks and mud, and that's actually mud. But on top of that, it's shingle that keeps the, it shingles to keep the water out, right? It wouldn't it have been sticks and mud and grass and those kind of things, and it would have been one of the sections of sticks that they were able to dig in. It would have been laborsome, but the four of them, in, in kind of what I would think is like a radic or a rational way, like who digs the top off of a house to lower somebody through it? College students, those in the room who, who watch Outer Banks, if you don't watch Outer Banks, just forgive me, but I already mentioned pogues and kooks. By the way, pogues are poor people, kooks are rich people. Um, think about JJ, right? JJ's just like willing to just blow it all up to save his girlfriend over and over and over. Or it's not his girlfriend, I guess corrected. Uh, he loves her though. And so <laughs> he's like willing to save, willing to save, willing to do whatever, right? It's irrational. It's like, you think, like, what are you doing? Why, you're going to get everybody else killed in, in, in your emotion. And this is what they're doing. Like, they're, they're pulling the top off, and they lower this guy down. And when Jesus says this, listen, notice this. When he saw their faith, 
It wasn't just the paralytic's faith that he notices. It's their faith. He said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Here's the big idea that I want to show you next. is by faith we must be bold in sharing the gospel of Jesus. I want you to think through this with me real quick. You have four dudes who are willing to, to do something that's pretty radical in order to get their friend in front of Jesus. What do you think that their relationship must be like with that friend, the paralytic? Do you think he was just an acquaintance? Do you think he was just somebody that they just passed by on the street? No. It was somebody they loved, wasn't it? Like, it, it had to be. This had to be somebody that they had a relationship with, that they knew that they were willing to do whatever it took to get them to be healed. That's, that's the first thing that I want you to know. That they had to love the guy to do that. Here's the second thing that I want you to know. Is that they believed... That Jesus could in fact heal them. Like their, their radicalness or their rationality, whatever you want to say, like they at least acknowledge in their hearts, like if this guy's going to be saved, this is how it's going to get done. We have to get him to them. They believed it with all of their heart. They had faith that Jesus could save. And so they did whatever it took to get them there. October of 2021, my brother was in the hospital. Um, he, he had had some sort of heart failure. We didn't know what it was or, or how, how bad it was. We actually thought it was kind of minor. We thought they'd probably put in some stents or something and he'd be out of the hospital and go, go on his own way. We didn't think it was that, that big of a deal. And I get a phone call that, um, that's, I remember Rosa was leaving, leaving your brother's funeral in, in the springs. And I get a phone call that says, hey, this is bad. And he might die. And so what do you think I did? I just thought, oh, okay. Going about my business. No. That's not what I did. I booked a flight. I, I, I got to Atlanta as fast as I could get to Atlanta. I, did, I mean, do you think I was like looking at the flight and going, oh, that one's too expensive? I didn't care. I mean, I'd have, I'd have flown Delta. Like, I'd have done, you know, I'd have gone off frontier. I don't, I don't get off frontier often. I'd have flown Delta. I'd have done whatever. I flew to Atlanta. I got a, a rental car. I drove to Gainesville Hospital. I was too late. They, would, I, the, the, they couldn't get in that night to see them. I got up that next morning. I ran around that hospital praying. I ran around that hospital seven times praying. Lord, save my brother. My brother was not a believer. He was not a Christian. I had had many gospel conversations with him, and he had always denied Jesus as Lord. And so I'm praying. I'm running. Lord, save him. And I go back and I shower, and the second that they open it up for visitors, the second I can walk in there, I walk in there. And I, there's other people, there's other family members there. I clear them all out. I make them leave, me and him. And I sat down beside the bed, and he knew what was coming. He knew the conversation we were getting ready to have. And I'll tell you, that day my brother Stephen Thurman said, Jesus Christ is Lord. Two things. I loved him. 
And I loved him enough that I wanted him to know Christ. And the second is I truly believed that Christ could save him. And he did. And so, this needs to be us. This is an example. These four men are an example to us. We must, by faith, not faith in ourselves. Not faith in our own ability, but faith in the goodness of God, in God's ability, in God's power to save. By faith, we must be bold in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must be willing to do things that, we, that people look at us and think, you're crazy. This week, I messaged with my buddy, Joshua Hutchins, in, in Malawi. They're readjusting a missionary life there. And man, his, there's certain people his, in his family who think he's crazy. I read another blog by uh, another guy, another missionary that I know. His name's Kevin. And he's in a war-torn part of Africa. And um, the place that they were meeting was very is, is interesting. On the opposite end of persecution, the, the rumor got spread that they were, they were promoting homosexuality. And so, it, which was not true, it was a rumor. And so all of a sudden, their, their gathering places, their worship, it was in danger. And they were, all could be arrested. And so they, they, they moved locations until they went and met with the, the, the chief of the, the tribe, the, the mayor, if you will, and, and got it all straightened out. But he was like, man, my, like last week, coming on Sunday, I thought we were all going to jail. For something that wasn't true, because Satan's a liar. I ran into another friend this past week, and... And I had another, another uh, Ukrainian pastor that I know, his name, is, his, his name is Vasya, and he's been in the U.S. for several months, and he was headed back to uh, Ukraine with his family, and, and headed back in. He, he's, a seminary, he's a seminary professor, a pastor of a church planter, and he's left all of that, and he was going back to being a chaplain on the front lines of the war in Ukraine. And the last thing that he said to my buddy's parents, that's where he stayed. He said, if my wife and I get killed on the front lines, will you take our kids? Now, I look at that and I'm like, dude, you could have stayed in the good old U.S. of A. I don't know how, who got you over here or how you got over here, but I'm pretty sure you didn't have to go back. But yet, what is his choice but to go back by by bold faith, knowing that that is where God has him in a dangerous place. Right now, there are missionaries all over the face of the planet doing bold things, faithful things to share the gospel of Jesus with somebody else. So you're like, all right, Pastor Zach, are you telling me we should go to the mission field? No. I'm telling you, you should meet your neighbor. You should, you should meet their neighbor and learn their name. And love them and care about them and share the gospel with them. That, that you should love your kids enough to look at them and to, to help shepherd them. To show them their sin and show that, they're, that, that Jesus is the answer to that sin. To your co-worker, to your friend, to your family member. And maybe all the way across the world. That we should be faithful to do the will of God, that we should be faithful, we should be like those four men that will do whatever it takes that they may hear. Paul, in the book of Romans, makes it very clear that the Lord is sovereign in salvation, that there is both God's sovereignty, but there is man's responsibility, and that for a, someone to know Christ, to be saved, there's a few things that they must understand. You ever heard of the Romans road, right? That the wages of sin is death. 
All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Like you go through all of that, that we must know. For somebody to know Christ, they have to hear the gospel. That's how salvation happens. And it happens by people willing to take the roof off and lower somebody down. That people who are willing to not stop until the good news of the gospel has been proclaimed. Continuing on verse 21. The fact that Jesus, when he says to him, Man, your sins are forgiven. The scribes and the Pharisees. Remember, there's this self-righteousness. They're the hounds of heresy. They're looking to blast the blasphemers. Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived uh, their thoughts... He answered them, why do you question in your heart, which is easier to say? I mean, you can see here, there's self-righteousness in their hearts, the, the hardness of their hearts, the very thing that so often happens in my own heart. He goes, why do you question that? Now, I don't have time to talk about it, but there's, there's a, lot of, a lot here because so many people then thought that your sin was the reason, like this, you know, if, if someone was blind, it was because they sinned. If someone was blind for birth, it was because their parents sinned. And, and that's not necessarily true. Are there reasons that your, your sin could lead to your, your ailment? Absolutely. Like if you were to drive drunk tonight and you were to get in a car crash and you were to be a paralytic, right? You were to be paralyzed. Well, there you can draw that conclusion. But you, we don't know. We don't know what it was. And so there's, there's a lot to be said here, but we got to know that that he goes, so your sins are forgiven. And the point is, what is easier to say, get up and be healed, or that your sins are forgiven? Because a doctor can heal you, but a doctor cannot forgive you of your sins. Uh, uh, it, it only would be Christ who can forgive you of your sins. And so then he says, rise and walk. Pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and he picked up what he had been lying on and he went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Here's my next big idea is that we must repent of our self-righteousness and choose to glorify God with our lives. We have like two choices as we approach this text. We can either choose to be self-righteous, like the scribes and Pharisees, or we can be the people who go, you know what? We need Jesus, right? We are sinners in need of a Savior. And so what did they do? It says this, he went home glorifying God. What were the other people who were standing around, the other people who were there to be healed? And amazement seized them all, and they glorify God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. And so here's the choice that as Christians we have to make over and over. Is are we going to look, look at ourselves and see our own sin? We're going to look at everybody else and go, I know I am, but what are they? Look at the, look at the people in that class or that class. Look at that person and their sin. Oh, they do that thing. I know, I know I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not like them. Right? That's, that's the self-righteousness that we struggle with. Now, remember the scribes, the teachers, the Pharisees, they were religious. They had the law. They had the same teachings that Jesus had. 
but they had these hardened hearts. Man, for us, we've got to kind of, kind of do the same thing. In the church, are we pharisaical in nature? Are we self-righteous in nature? Here's what you understand. Self-righteousness is not a church problem only. You know, so often we, in our world that's deconstructing, in our world that's looking at the church, they're looking at us and going, they're self-righteous. Listen, all of us, every one of us on this planet is self-righteous. We think our way is the right way and everybody else's way is the wrong way. Self-righteousness is part of the, 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 the curse of our sinfulness. I'm just going to make the argument that Jesus' way was the right way. And that to not be self-righteous, what you do is submit yourselves to the teaching of Jesus. You, you, go, you say, not like the Pharisees who were trying to catch him blaspheming and blast them. It was, it was no, Jesus is right. Jesus is good. My faith and trust is in Jesus. And so we make the decision that we're going to glorify God with our lives. We're going to see our sin and say, oh, it's not dwelling in my sin or holding on to my sin, but it's going, but... God in his goodness, in his mercy, in his kindness, in his unmerited favor, saved me. He shed his blood for me. He died for me that I may be with him. And so he heals us. Third story. After this, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi. Now, this is Matthew. For whatever reason, Luke calls him Levi, uh, Levi, Matthew, and he does the same thing, remember, with, with uh, uh, Simon Peter, right? He does the same thing with Simon, he calls Simon Peter. Uh, Matthew and Mark, they, Matthew calls himself Matthew, he wants to be called Matthew. Um, I don't know why he does it, but he does it, but this is obviously Matthew. And so, he's a tax collector. Um, tax collectors, uh, they were outcasts of their own sort. They didn't have to go around saying unclean, unclean, unclean. But the, the common people looked at them and said, they nasty. They, they had choice words for them. Here's how tax collecting worked. Uh, the Roman government, uh, they, they like to, to tax everything. And so if, if, if you owned, I mean, you had to pay a tax just for existing Everybody had to pay a tax, and that was a certain amount. But then off the things that you owned, you had to pay taxes. I feel like I'm talking about taxes a lot lately and resenting taxes a lot lately, right? We, we, on the, we have been having conversations after church about taxes. But it just feels familiar that the government wants to tax everything. And um, they would basically say, hey, this region uh, should bring us this many taxes. It's got about this many people. And so they would essentially auction off or sell the right to be the tax collector for that place. And so you could buy it like a business. And then you could go and basically you could do your evaluations. You could do your audits and say, okay, this is the tax that you owe me. And it was just known that they, um, they, they bullied people and they told them that their property value was worth more than it was or whatnot. Anybody ever have that happen here? Anybody ever appealed the tax assessor's decision besides me and I was right by $250,000? Okay, um, I don't know what tax on that was, but it was more than I was willing to pay. Anyway, um, they would do that. They would go into, they would collect taxes. They would, they would essentially steal. It was, it, they were, they were, they were, they would lie. They would steal. And that meant that tax collectors, it was like a pretty good business. 
and they had money. And so a tax collector would have a nice house and have nice things that would dress nice. You know, they're showing up to take your taxes, and, and, and they've got on nice garments, and they've got on jewelry. And so, man, that just made it that much worse, and people hated them. And I, I think they're probably like a lot of rich people. There's probably a lot of rich people who could care less if you hate them. They're like, I don't care if you hate me. I got money. I don't need you to like me. I got money. I, I don't need you. I can just buy, I can buy whatever I want. I can buy French if I want to. So, yeah, you could be mad at me. I'm just, don't, you know, don't hate the player, hate the game, right? I don't, I don't care. Haters going to hate, you know, that's the kind of things they say. So this is probably Matthew. Matthew's, Matthew's at this moment. He's not a liked guy. And so, Jesus sees him. Uh, we, we're pretty sure that Jesus has had count, encounters with him before. He's seen Jesus before from the other Gospels. We can, we can pick up on that. And so, Jesus sees him and he says to follow me. And just like last week when we talked about Peter and James and John putting down their nets full of fish and turning and following Jesus... He leaves his business. It's just leaving everything, leaving his house, leaving all his money. He rose and he followed him. Not only did he just follow him, he made an announcement, I'm following him. He's like, I'm following him and I'm throwing a party. And so he invites all of his buddies over to his house, the other ta tax collectors, these other people that the scribes and teachers and, and, and Pharisees would look at and go, oh, they're they're, those are sinners. Those are wretches. And he invites them over and he goes, guys, listen what Jesus has done. Jesus is legit. Jesus is real. I'm not, I'm not collecting Caesar's stuff anymore. I'm rendering to God what is God's. I'm going, I'm following him. And so he throws this party, this large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table. And this is what the Pharisees said. The scribes grumbling at his disciples say, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here's my next big idea, is that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. I want you to understand something. If Jesus would not have eaten and dined with uh, sinners, he would have eaten and dined with nobody. Right? Everyone that Jesus was around was a sinner. Everyone was sick in need of a physician. The only difference is that some didn't realize that they needed it, and others didn't think that he could save them. Sin controls people through two opposing lies. It controls us through these two opposing lines. On, on, on one hand, there are people who think, I'm not a sinner. I'm good. I've done, I'm, I've done good. My good outweighs my bad. My ying is bigger than my yang. And so, hey, I'm, I'm good. I don't, I don't need a, a savior. The second is, I'm a sinner. I'm a wretch. How could a good God love somebody like me? How is it possible that God could save somebody from me from my sin? I have a, I have a really good friend who struggles with this. He, he's, he's got a guilty conscience. He was in the war on terror. He's a bad dude. He's a womanizer. He's all these things. And when I share the gospel with him, he always gets to this place of not believing 
that God would forgive him. That his sins are too dark. That he's done too much. I think this is true. This is, this is the two opposing laws. But this, this is, in fact, not true. He didn't come to save the righteous. There's often this, this thing in church where we'll clean ourselves up and then come to Christ. Impossible. It's Christ who comes to clean you. It's Christ that makes you righteous. This is something we call imputed righteousness. The, the blood that was shed by Jesus covers your sin. He is the bird who stays in the pot, and you are the bird that gets to fly away, forgiven, pronounced clean, pronounced healed, pronounced get up, go, and walk. Bring me glory. 1 Peter chapter 2, this comes to mind, verse 24, it says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. It's no longer our righteousness, it's not our self-righteousness, it is Christ's righteousness. And by his wounds you have been healed. Today, there's only two people, two kinds of people in this room. And it's those who are going, yeah, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I'm going to Jesus. Or it's those who go, I don't need it. I'm righteous enough on my own. So you've got a choice to make. Today, if you're in the room and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ... And yet you feel the weight of your sin this morning. There's good news for you. It's that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. That, that God, being rich in mercy, that means that he did not give us the punishment we deserve, sent his son, Christ Jesus, who never sinned, who didn't deserve it, to die on the cross for our sins, that he was dead, that he was buried, and that God raised him from the third day, proving that he was God. So the Bible tells you, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he's the Savior, and that you will believe in your heart that God raised his son from the dead, you will be saved. And so if today you're saying, I feel the weight of my sin, Place your faith and trust in Christ this morning. Believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. We're going to sing a song. And in that song, cry out and go, God, I believe in you. I believe that you died to save me. And now I'm going to walk in obedience to you. And I'm going to come forward and I'm going to be baptized. I'm going to make my, my profession of faith public. Man, I urge you, do that. Cry out to the Lord. And the second... Second, second type of person in the room who understands their sin might be the Christian. The Christian in the room who, who you're like, man, I feel the weight of my sin, but I keep letting self-righteousness slip in. I keep looking at the world around me thinking that they're, they're broken and, and they're wrong and that person's just all these other things. I look down on the other people that you would truly see like who you are and just who Christ is. That we would not look at others and see anything other than people in need of Jesus. No matter what side of the island, no matter where they are, no matter their state, we all need Jesus. Father, we love you and we praise you for your word and that it's truth.
Lord, even though it confronts us and it shows us our sin, it shows us our failings, it shows us our rebellion, that it's true and it's good and it's a gift that, because it points us to you. It brings us to the one who knew no sin because it brings us to the one who is in that is perfect. So today, Lord, let us place our faith and trust in you. Let us repent of our own self-righteousness. Let us see those around us as people who were also in need of your grace, just like we are. Lord, move and work this morning. Seek and save the lost. Lord, draw unto yourself those who do not know you. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing a song of response this morning.